0: claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply.
1: Late night. Midnight on the interstate. And I didn't feel so great. The city. Welcome back to straight from the source with Mike Russo. Thanks as always for tuning in. If you're not an athletic subscriber, well now is the time to get in the athletics.com slash straight from the source. We'll get you in for a dollar a month for six months, a dollar a month for six months theathletic.com slash straight from the source. Now is the time to go there if you're not a subscriber. And one big reason why you should join right now is uh, Shana Goldman, uh, one of our awesome writers at The Athletic. She covers the New Jersey Devils, but she's uh, one of our uh, smartest people at The Athletic. So this is why I recruited her to help me with this story about a month ago. Um, I started to see more and more on Twitter and in emails and in questions on podcasts and everything, how much uh, Wild fans were fretting. Um, just the fact that this team might not be able to sign Kevin Fiala, and now he's on an absolute tear with uh, 13 goals and 24 points in his last 19 games. Um, so I asked Shayna to really help me with this story um, because, uh, one, she could do the math. Um, And she is just awesome at that. And that is something I'm not very good at. Um, But two, she has this just uh, ability to really make complex subjects uh, really easy to understand. And basically I gave her Um, A lot of the things that I wanted to point out, and she really helped me put it into words and make sense and things like that. And basically, there's just a a, there really is two ways the wild can go here, in my eyes. Three, really. One is trade Kevin Fiala, two is come back with Kevin Fiala on a either one year deal or mid range deal and try to make it work for one year with Matt Dumba in fold. And what we really spell out in this story is how difficult that would be for the wild. Um, it would take them if Fiala and Kakanen essentially took below market value contracts and the wild got rid of all their unrestricted free agents. So that Sturm, Goligoski, Rask, Ben, let Bukestead, let them all go. The wild would barely be under the cap next year and it would be very hard for them to operate the team. If they had any injuries whatsoever, it would be hard for them to constantly call up players. Um, And so that is basically what it comes down to. And that is if they took below market value deals, like if, if Fiala wanted seven and Kackner wanted two and a half or three, it just, the math doesn't work. Um, So really what it comes down to is there just seems to be one way that they can make this work. It's either sign Fiala and let Dumba go via trade or Trade Fiala and keep Dumba. It's It really is that simple. And we really spell it out there um, pretty good on why that is the case. And so what it's going to come down to after the season is, one, Bill Guerin is going to have to decide, um, do they want to make it work with Kevin Fiala? If they want to make it work with Kevin Fiala, the next thing he's going to have to do is go to his agents at Newport and find out exactly what he's going to need in terms of a one-year deal, a mid-range deal, or a long-term deal. And then the Wild are going to have to figure out, okay, is that something they're going to want to pay? And then once they figure that out, if it is something they're going to have to pay, then they're going to have to trade Matt Dumbo. That's really what it comes down to. Or what they're going to have to do is say, you know what, we value Matt Dumba more, or we just can't make it work financially with Kevin Fiala, and that's why we're going to keep Dumba. It's going to really come down to that type of thing. So what this really says is this is going to be another offseason of Matt Dumba trade rumors. And we all know that Matt Dumba has survived those trade rumors for years, and it wouldn't shock me if he does it again. My gut still to this minute is that the Wild wind up trading Fiala and keeping Dumba. I just think they value, one, I think that Fiala is going to cost too much money, and too. I just think they really, really value Matt Dumba and the energy he brings to the locker room and what he brings to the ice and all that stuff. Even though, as we point out in the story, in a lot of ways, we don't know if they have a natural placement for Kevin Fiala, while we do think that there's a natural replacement there with Kalen Addison, but it'll come down to really the gut and what, what Bill Guerin and his staff decide uh, that they absolutely need. And so, um, you know, there's another reason why to subscribe to the athletic, because we're going to show you from, we're going to plug in the numbers for you. We're going to show you um, what makes Boldy and Fiala so special. Um, and kind of break it down on multiple fronts there. So I uh, highly recommend reading that piece. Hopefully you like it again. And Shana Goldman, thanks so much for helping me do this story. It was oh, It's always a fun process working with Shana. So uh, just really, really cool um, story. As, as you know, I'm in Toronto. Coincidentally, I'm in the hotel that I wrote the Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter oral history at the midway points of their contracts. I was in Toronto and Montreal when I wrote that monstrosity of a piece that if you Google, you can read Um. And the irony of, of me being in this hotel uh, is a big reason why this Fiala situation is, is something is just the buyouts of the Parisi-Sudo contract. So um, definitely highly recommend that. Um, my guest today, Pierre LeBrun, our NHL insider at the Athletic, the NHL longtime NHL insider at TSN, former Canadian press writer, one of my closest friends in the business. In fact, he's one huge reason. He probably doesn't even know this until I probably tell him on this podcast. I'm recording this before I actually sit down with LeBrun at his estate tonight before we go to dinner with Elliot Friedman. Um, there's a couple name drops. It'll be a fun, fun dinner. Um, but he probably doesn't even know this. And he's a big reason why I joined The Athletic. So when I met with The Athletic uh, co-founders, Adam Hansman and Alex Mather, and I'm trying to think when this would have been. It would have been August of 2017. I went out to San Francisco to meet with them, had lunch with Adam, had dinner with Alex, met with them throughout the day, uh, one day there, um, and took a red-eye home, I remember, from San Francisco, hung out with my buddy, Roxy Bernstein, who's, yeah. Uh, who's, uh, ESPN announcer and Oakland athletics and all that. Um, so I'm trying to think how this all went, but we're sitting down there and at some point, either early or midway through the day, they told me a little secret. And that is that Pierre Lebrun was also joining the athletic. And I just remember right away thinking, wow, like they already had James Myrtle who I'm having lunch with on Thursday. Um, who's one of our incredible editors up here in Toronto. And, um, Basically runs the NHL uh, group here at The Athletic. Um, I knew they – so they had Myrtle. They had Scott Powers. Um, I'm trying to think who else we had on staff at that time. Aaron Portsline had just joined. Um, I'm trying to think who else we would have had. Um, That honestly might have been it. Craig Custance, of course. Katie Strang. I believe was already here, and I but I just remember hearing like, "Wow, Pierre LeBrun's coming too," and I knew the credibility with all these other big names, and it just felt like, "Wow, you know, this is something that they're really going to be growing here." And if these other people that I highly rec- respected came to the athletic, well, I I might as well too. And so, um, you know, I was going through the process with uh, Jeremy Rutherford or St. Louis Writer at the time, and I just remember calling him after I met with Adam and spent the day with them before my dinner. Actually, it might have been after my dinner with Alex and I just said, dude, we're doing this. And um and one big reason was Pierre LeBron coming to the athletics. So we'll have a conversation about that with Pierre. We'll talk about the trade deadline coming up. We'll talk about the nineteen sixty seven bottle of wine. I think he bought us and at Burn Steakhouse in Tampa before after the All Star game one year. And then he bought us like a nineteen seventy seven bottle of the same vintage yeah, same Wine, if I remember correctly. Uh, But Pierre is somebody that a lot of us hockey writers have always respected. In fact, during the 2005 lockout, I remember just sitting in lobbies of hotels with him because he had the sort of bat phone to Bill Daly and Ted Saskin during that lockout. So we'll talk to him about that. trying to think what else we should talk about before the wild. You know what a, a big coincidence is right now? Eric Stahl is right here in Toronto right now. And I found out he's staying at the team hotel. So I immediately did some digging. I'm like, like because all on I've been led to believe that the Wild aren't gonna sign Eric Stahl and then I find out he's here in Toronto and right away the bat like my radar goes up, like Uh oh. I wonder if something's about to happen. Especially, we all know the Wild could use a center, and they've they've got some guys that are banged up. But turns out that he's just got some immigration issues. Remember, before he went to Beijing, I mentioned that he had some immigration issues that he had to deal with. Well, he's dealing with that now to get back to Minnesota. So he's staying here in Toronto for a couple of days while that's all rectified. So he happens to be at the team hotel. I'm sure he's going to get together with a bunch of his former teammates tonight here in Toronto. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, I think what else we should talk about before I get to the uh, wild. Uh, Dealt with an ice storm in Ottawa. Uh, That was hilarious, by the way, because uh, everybody knows me. Uh, They know that I'm not exactly the biggest picture of health, right? And so uh, last night, um, first of all, me just... You know, scraping off my car to go to the game was a hellacious experience because this ice storm really came out of nowhere. Even though, thank goodness, I had uh, lunch with Pierre uh, with Bruce Garriott during the day, and he told me, "Whatever you do, put up your uh, your, your like windshield wipers today, or they're going to get frozen in your car." So I scrape off the ice. I barely make it to the arena in like one piece because the at that point the roads were just a total mess. I like ice skate across the parking lot into the uh, Canadian Tire Center, and all game long, I'm worried about like what's going on outside. How the heck am I going to get back to the the hotel? The hotel was already just out in the burbs enough because I didn't want to stay in downtown Ottawa because all the trucker situation that you can all Google uh, to figure out what was going on with that. In fact, on the way to the airport today, I took a wrong turn and I wound up having to go through like three checkpoints to get to the airport. Because uh, cops were just making sure that I w- that nobody was up to any you know no good going into downtown Ottawa. Um, so then I I I write the fastest game story of my life. I I skate across uh, the road to get back to the parking lot, and then you should have seen me for 25, 30 minutes, just me and Sarah McClellan, like next to each other, just scraping the ice off our our windows of this car. It was unbelievable how in such a short amount of time ice pancaked to the cars. And, um... I wish I had video this scene of just Sarah and I just like getting the ice off our cars. And I finally, um, I, I, at one point I said to her at like midnight, I'm like, I'm like, so you wanted to be a sports writer. So we got out of, uh, Ottawa in one piece, uh, made it to Toronto on the same flight today. Pierre Dorian, the Ottawa GM happened to be on my flight connecting, uh, through Toronto to go to Detroit, to scout the Avalanche Red Wings game. So it just happens to be that I, I run into Pierre Dorian for like the 50th time this, uh, hockey season. Gordon Miller happened to me on my flight. It was a bunch of, uh, a bunch of VIPs on my plane. Uh, so I'm here in Toronto making it and we'll see if the Wild can bounce back um, against the Toronto Maple Leafs on Thursday night after a very, very disappointing loss in Ottawa, where I really do think um, that it really came down to just, you know, Fordsburg was better than Talbot last night. I mean, it was a game where the Wild were not very good in the first period. Um, their power play had a couple great looks, um, just couldn't score on those first two power plays, and that one-nothing deficit became two-nothing. Um, and look, to in fairness to Talbot, he made some great saves in that first period too to keep that game a one-nothing and two-nothing game. And the wild, as good as they were on those power plays, he had to make two or three big saves shorthanded to keep that deficit from one 1- to you know one-nothing. And um and then it became two-nothing. And look, the Shabbat goal, even Talbot said today he needed to stop the first. One. Um, and Dean Evison came to his defense and basically blamed it on Fiala. That's w- <laughs> Dean never has a problem not blaming things on Fiala. Um, and it, with his defense of his own coverage. And um, but look, Talbot need, needs admitted again today. He needs, as tough as that fourth goal was, tipped off Addison. The reality is, even Talbot said he needed to make a save in that situation. And um Talbot, it's just amazing how fickle. The goaltending world is like I know that every wild fan is just quick to jump on Talbot these days for absolutely everything, very similar to the way they were very uh, quick to jump on Dubnik. But it was a week and a half ago where he was 4 0 with a 9.55 save percentage um, after his big victory, 37 saves against the Carolina Hurricanes. So this has not been a goalie that's just been awful for weeks. He's had a tough three game stretch, and it feels like a month because of the alternating of the goaltenders right now. Um, and Kakanen's gotten victories and and Talbot right now is in a three game slump where he's given up, um, you know, 13 goals in those three games. So look, uh, you know, does he need to be better? Absolutely. Um, but that was the big thing down at the arena today. Kakanen will start, start against the Toronto Maple Leafs and we'll see now if they go to a more traditional type of goalie rotation where If Kakanen wins against the Maple Leafs, maybe he plays again on Hockey Night in Canada in Calgary. My gut says that Calvert still starts that game because it's in Calgary where he's played, where he played well um, before he signed with the Wild. Um, It's their first game against Calgary. It's on Hockey Night in Canada. That's my gut. But look, maybe they change it up. And now if they beat the Maple Leafs, you come back with the goalie. This has been Takakadon's last three victories where he hasn't started the next game after. And that's something that's very atypical of most teams. Usually you go with the winning lineup game after game. Um, So we'll see what happens there. Um, But, you know, this goaltending issue is an issue right now. But the reality is the Wild have gotten too loose. This team right now is not nearly as tight as they were before the all-star break. They're giving up now, um, what is it, 23 goals in their last five games, I believe it is um three are there are three empty netters i believe in there but look that that's just not good enough and they've got to get tighter um there's just they're turning pucks over they're losing their checks they're just not playing nearly as well and that's why they're losing games and losing games in regulation lately so that's got to be fixed um tough game against a hungry hungry um Toronto Maple Leafs teams that lost a couple tough games as well so we'll see uh the, probably the best of the Maple Leafs in the Wild they have to be up to the challenge and then Calgary right now is absolutely on fire they are one of the best teams in the conference and i can't wait to see them up close and see what it is about them that's making them so good this year um so we'll see the flames on a home and home uh coming up here starting on saturday night on hockey night in canada so here's a here's a weird little this is how we'll end the opening segment before we get to Pierre le you want to hear the weirdest like thing that's been going on with me lately the only thing i put on in my hotel room is youtube at watching Avid Brothers concerts. I don't know why I've gotten so addicted to avid Brothers concerts but I just am right now and it's like literally for the last two months the only thing I put on my TV in the hotel room is I just log on YouTube type in Avid Brothers live find a concert and write while Avid Brothers is in the background and somehow that just unmuted while I was doing this podcast so so there we go uh, that is the opening segment of the latest straight from the source we might have in one of these next two weeks, probably both of them, because whoever guest I get next week is going to still be awesome anyway. But um, it's either going to be next week or the week after. I have a really cool guest that has never been on the podcast before. So we'll see. Um, uh, you'll you'll really enjoy that, hopefully, uh, as long as it comes together. Um, but I won't say who yet, because I want to make sure it actually happens. But if that person's on next week, I promise, not on next week, I promise the next week's guest will be equally as awesome. There we go. Uh, here's a word from one of our sponsors, and then Pierre LeBron. I'm actually at Chateau LeBrun. What a beautiful neighborhood you live in! Beautiful home, everything. Yeah, try not to give out the address. Not, like, I did uh, it. I, know. I almost did. <laughs> I was like, "Boy, that uh, place right next door." Um, you know what I did like as I was I was driving over here? The amount of people that was like like walking by the with their hockey equipment. I just thought like this is so Minnesota in a lot of ways. Only in Toronto.
2: I think f- from my experience, pretty hard to beat Minnesota for the total feel that every single person alive there is an is an yeah. out, outdoor enthusiast. I mean I, I, that's a <laughs> that's as athletic uh a place I've been to, but but yeah, I mean obviously you're in Toronto right now, Mike, and uh the GTHL on its own uh, as a minor yeah. hockey league has yeah. produced You know, it's it's an NHL factory and uh, my son plays in it. He's not going to the NHL, (laughs) but he's having fun playing single A and uh, my daughters both play rep hockey. So how old is single A? It's not a, like it starts at, uh, it, it starts at nine years old. Okay. Um, and so he's 11, and
1: uh, see, right there, fun. that just that like boggles my mind because I remember when he was born, and it's like, you know, it's just it's
2: yeah, crazy. they were born the twins, him and his twin sister, yeah. and she also plays. Uh, they were
1: born, uh, right after the Bruins beat Vancouver in the 2011 yeah. Cup final. Yep, yeah, yep. big little, now they're little people. Yeah, pretty unreal. Um, you know, it's funny, I was, I was saying this on the open pier that, that, uh, And I don't know if I've ever told you this, but you're a big reason why I came to The Athletic to begin with. Like, when I went out to San Francisco to scope out The Athletic, it was Mm -hmm. August of 2017. And we're sitting in this office in San Francisco with Alex and Adam. And they're like, you know, a little inside scoop here, but we're about to hire Pierre Lebrun. He would start a week before you. And I remember calling Jeremy Rutherford up after my meeting and I'm like, you're not going to believe this, but they're hiring LeBron. So they don't just have like Myrtle and they don't just have ports line and customs and Kate, like they're hiring LeBron. Like it it to me. It just brought instant credibility that we were getting this like Supreme insider. And, and honestly, it really, I think it was a big reason why Jeremy and I decided to take, leave really good jobs at places we loved and came to this enterprise. Well, I'm glad they haven't fired me since then. So that's
2: (laughs) nice. Uh, No, I I didn't know that. It's funny. uh, Um, when uh, when Adam and Alex first reached out to me, I was still at ESPN.com. I think a lot of people feel that the way the timing had worked out that I gravitated towards The Athletic because I was part of those layoffs at ESPN. But in fact, The Athletic had uh, very secretly reached out to me before mm-hmm. uh, I was out at ESPN. So they had given me a lot to think about. But obviously, once I got laid off, then there yeah. was very little to think about because it, I, I was so impressed by their sales pitch. I remember back then in 2017, I mean, they're just getting off the ground. And it was
1: like Scott Powers and
0: yeah, Scott else. Scott Powers, James Myrtle, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Chicago
2: and Toronto trying to launch this. And, and uh, I was sold and listen, I, let's be honest, I took less of a risk than a lot of you guys because I work full time at TSN as right. well. So it, it, I think that was sort of the balance is, is the mainstay with a fledgling new enterprise and, Um, But thank God you came along because I don't know if anyone sells more subs than Mr. Russo (laughs) in Minnesota. So that helps feed the machine, man.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it it honestly, it's been just a great, great thing. And obviously, you know, long, long future, bright future ahead now that uh, obviously the sale went through and things like that. um, You appear like tell everybody how your career started. Like I, I remember still. To this day, sitting with you in the 2005 lockout at the Hilton in New York City, a bunch of us slowly beat writers from dailies around the country. That was back when, if you wanted to cover the lockout, you actually had to go to New York or Toronto yeah. to cover it. And we used to wrap around you in these hotel lobbies late at night because you had like the bat phone to like Ted Saskin <laughs> and Bill Daly, and like what, like so, like you were getting like told this info, and you were essentially because it was pre-internet too, really pre not pre-internet, but pre like Twitter, pre you know what I was? It, it was obviously pre iPhone and and, yeah. and
2: just at the start of the Blackberries. So yeah, where you had the Blackberry, where you were getting your email sent to you no matter where you were. Yep. so that was actually that period in time, right? Uh, because back then, a lot of media would have to go up to their hotel rooms and open up their laptops to check their emails. And yep. I know people listening to this are going to laugh. Yeah, but during that lockout, I did get one of the first Blackberries, and because yep. it's a Canadian company, of course, and and. For a guy covering a lockout for the national news agency, the Canadian press, where I was for 13 years, that was a revolution. Mm-hmm. Like getting my emails answered in real time yeah. on my phone. I, I know, again, I know younger people listening to this thinking, are they going to talk about a phone booth next? No, I, <laughs> but, but in in 2004, 2005, that's where the t- technology was at. and. That was a big deal and covering that lockout was a big moment in my career and you and I are around the same age. I think we both started covering the NHL in 95, right? Yep, yep. Yeah. So we're the, we're of the same vintage. So I was already 10 years in and, and working for the Canadian National News Agency, but that lockout in 0405 was a big moment in my career yeah. where I I really dug deep on that story and uh was, you know, uh I thought on top of it mm-hmm. and uh and really from there It opened a lot of doors. I mean, literally a a couple months after Mm. the lockout ended, uh, Hockey Night Canada reached out to me and, and uh, I started doing the hot stove and, and so on. But, uh, but yeah, I remember those days. And uh, of course we covered the lockout in 2012 as well. And it's funny watching the coverage and reading our coverage in the athletic of, of the baseball labor negotiations right now, I kind of. Shudder! Yeah. It really brings back the kind of memories Nervous. that, while journalistically it was, it was really instrumental for a lot of us. I also just hate when this happens
1: in sports yeah. league because it, it's it, after a while it becomes pretty awful to cover. Yeah, frankly. no doubt about it. Um, you are another. I mean, you know, it's funny we're the same age, but as you said, but obviously you've been a huge influence to a lot of us. And I remember I've told you this once before, fairly recently, but I actually have this memory. This. This this memory of us being at the Toronto Eaton Center Marriott, um, covering the draft in two thousand would have been two here in Toronto, 2002 or three, two One or of those. three, yeah. But I remember we were outside the. Pr- I, I walked remember. out of the press room just to go use the restroom or grab a water or whatever. And I was, I overheard you on the phone with Dean Lombardi, the LA Kings at that time. Oh boy. Yeah. uh, GM. But you were just talking to him. Nothing. It was, you were just talking to him. And I just remember overhearing this and thinking to myself, like, I I had this honest epiphany, like, I got to start doing this job better. Like I had my own little bubble, I covered Brian Murray, I covered Rick Dudley, I had great sources covering the Florida Panthers Mm -hmm. and being able to cover that team. But I'm like, you know what, if I'm going to become a better hockey writer, I got to start having relationships with other people. And I just actually remember that moment just hearing this, like I've got to just broaden my horizons and I just wanted to, I'm curious, like when did, obviously Mm. you work for Canadian press, so you didn't cover just one team, but when did you start to realize or start to develop these relationships around the league where you have that ability to call up anybody at any time? Well, anyways, I'm
2: I'm just glad that you didn't intercept a conversation where I was getting told off by someone. because I didn't hear what Dean was saying. but uh, No, I I got lots (laughs) of time for Dean Lombardi and I hope he listens to this, but, uh, and chuckles. Um, you know, so when I was a young reporter at the Canadian Press, uh, um, I didn't get summers off like I do today, and, <laughs> and, and but which which uh, uh, proved to be a really productive thing for me as a guy in my early twenties because a lot of our more veteran reporters did take some some time off in the summers, and I ended up handling at a very young age uh, the the entire off season from a national perspective mm-hmm. for CP. And even as a young guy calling agents during arbitration or getting on conference calls after signings, you know, nothing, nothing too sexy, but what it did it, over time mm-hmm. is it, it, it got me on the phone with a lot of different people who ran teams, uh, and, and, and especially with agents. And I still have relationships to this day that span back to those days, you mm-hmm. know, um, you know, guys like JP Barry or Don and Pat Brisson, uh, you know, Craig Oster on the agent side. And of course, you know, some of the managers that are still around kicking from those days, like a, like a Lou Lamorello, uh, you know, Doug Wilson, David Poyle, Doug Armstrong. I mean, it really spanned from those off seasons where even the smallest transaction spawned a conversation between me and someone. And and then just started a relationship from there. And it really interested me from an early time in my career to connect the dots through every team in a league and not w- just worry about a team. Yeah. And and I think in some ways I've lost out my career because I've never covered a team for a living, which yeah. is almost incredible to say because usually that's a necessary step. And I think one, that 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 is a bit of a hole in my game, that I never have gone that deep on a team despite yeah. being based in Toronto all these years. But um, on the other hand, I think it gave me an early focus on knowing that If the Minnesota Wild do something, it might affect what the Colorado Avalanche do. Right, and always having sort of that national focus.
1: Yeah, it is. It is interesting because I watch a lot of young sports writers today, and they'll walk into a press box and not go up to one scout, not go talk to the opposing GM, and Mm -hmm. and they don't meet anybody. And you know, like we have a young reporter Peter Ba that's the complete opposite of that. He kind of reminds me of like a young me. Only much skinnier. Um, he's he's doing great by the way. Loving his his, his coverage. Yeah. Like he's that one person. Like we're in Colorado a month, month and a half ago, and I'm I'm watching him just go up and down Scouts Row introducing himself. And I'm just like, that is perfect. Mm. Like that's what you have to do as a young sports writer. You have to, you know, you have to generate um, relationships because that's what this whole game is and once somebody respects you it is like a game of telephone They're like yeah you can trust that peter you can you know i just right. think it's very important and that's something that is young writer that is one thing i did i always got to know the scouts. yeah and, you know i mean it's pretty interesting it, it's
2: networking right yeah and, and you're very good at it mm-hmm. and, and obviously that's the basis of of what i've done over the years I, I do feel for younger writers though because uh or younger media people in general because i think the world has changed and mm-hmm such a big part of of you know my stick over the years has been to take someone out for a beer and you know all of this is off the record we're just you know we're just yep. shooting the shit uh, which i think is incredibly important yeah but i think the world has changed and i think there are barriers up now that didn't exist when we started yeah. into the business that actually make it harder on younger writers to develop those types of relationships i yeah. also think that um You know, thank goodness that we're opening the doors to more and more women to cover our sport. But it's probably not as, as, you know, an automatic, comfortable, maybe decision for a young woman to say, you know, let's go have a beer with a 50 year old GM. And I never thought of that because I was just a young guy. But I think about now um, that these are all things to think about if you're a a young media person. And so, it's easy, I think, for you and I to say, well, why don't people just do what we did? I think, you know, there's some
1: merit in that. I also think the world has changed. No doubt about it. If I had a dollar for the amount of beers I've had with Brian Murray back in the day, I'd probably be able to open a, like a brewery or a winery <laughs> he or something. He and was I, amazing, yeah, by yeah, the way. Yeah, that guy was I, unreal. I have
2: uh, so much time for yeah. the late Brian Murray. and
1: and uh, I was real lucky in Florida to have him as oh. the first GM. You know? S-
2: such a straight shooter. Yeah. Uh, for better or for worse. Yeah. He'll let you know. Yeah. He would well, let you know. No,
1: I've I've told this story before. I once, when he took over for Doug McLean as coach in nineteen ninety-eight, we go to the All-Star break in um Vancouver, and it was in the middle of an eight game Panther road trip where they wound up going winless on the eight games. And the first five games they lost every game or didn't or tied every game. It was like they went 05 and 3 on the trip. I don't know. I remember that. I think i'm right we go to vancouver i write my midseason report and it's to this day why i don't like doing midseason like grades <laughs> i gave him an f as coach and gm <laughs> so we start up the road trip people could fact check this we start up the road trip and anaheim after the 98 all-star game in vancouver and he makes a left. he makes a, a left down the hallway by the anaheim locker room i make a left down the hallway by the florida visiting locker room and you know how sh- how close that is to that end of the door, Right, the entire corridor down from the Anaheim room, he is motherfucking me <laughs> the entire time. And, but then from the minute, like he got done with that, he was completely fine with me. Wait, wait, like, did Brian Murray swear? Yeah, 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 <laughs> right. Um, but you know what? That was the thing about Brian is like, he, he, he would have it out with you, but then he completely forgive you. And what scene, I, you're all good, yeah. And what I used to love about him too, because when you're a young sports writer that isn't very confident. He never treated me like a child, ever. You know, what he would do is if I screwed something up or got something inaccurate, he would sit down and explain it to me rather than just shut me out. And that was a great learning experience.
2: Yeah, and I enjoyed our chats very similarly. And, um, um, you know, I I share this story. I think it was James Duffy's latest book a few years ago. James used this anecdote from me. But uh, one year when Brian Murray was running Ottawa um, near the end, um, he phoned me up one day and he said, uh, Pierre, what do you think of Dion Phaneuf? And then <laughs> he was just quizzing me and, and, you know, because there were the, you know, I think there was a wrong perception of Dion because in fact, inside that leash locker room, he was, he, he was really well-respected and well-liked and was a good influence for the younger players. But by the end of the near, the phone call, I realized what was happening. Yeah. But then I'm like, ah, oh, shit. I said, well, Brian, if you're actually trading for Dion Vaneuf, please Please give me a heads up. You go, yeah. About two or three weeks later, Ottawa acquires Dion Phaneuf. No heads up. <laughs> yeah, <out." laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I sent him a text and he just laughed. Yeah. Uh, I
1: always yeah. get a little nervous when when scouts. Are, I don't mind scouts as much because scouts. That part of their due diligence, a lot of times, yeah. is to go to the beat right and like tell me about this guy off the ice. Um but uh, I always get nervous when a GM starts asking me about player like I, I have a great story. I, I sh- probably shouldn't say this and Rick Dudley might kill me, but we're, we're, <laughs> we're um, so the Panthers trade Mark Parrish to the Islanders in 2000. A couple years later, it's around Christmas break and apparently Rick Dudley wants to reacquire Mark Parrish. And Which I think um, he did eventually. Yeah, actually, sorry, Brian. Or sorry, Brian Murray traded Mark Parrish. And Rick to Dudley house. reacquired. And Rick, Rick Dudley wanted to bring him back to Florida. Okay. He never reacquired him. Oh, down he in never. Florida.
2: I thought Mark Parrish was no. twice in Florida. No, okay. no,
1: he wound okay. up in LA, then Minnesota. Okay. and I covered him there twice. But, but so anyway, um, I'm at I'm up in upstate Georgia in the mountains in the Blue Ridge Mountains over Christmas break. You know, with a bunch of buddies. My phone's not working up there. I get back there, and Rick Dudley. Comes up to me and he's all ticked off. I'm like, "What? What's going on?" And so a couple days, remember, like the the Christmas vacation. So there's the that's what it was. Right. So like, let's like say the Christmas trade freeze starts the 20th and ends the 27th. Right. It was around the 20th that they wanted to make this acquisition. Well, they don't make the acquisition because apparently Alan Cohen, the GM, the owner the of the owner. team. Called me. My phone wasn't working because I wasn't getting calls. They don't make the trade because Alan wanted to know from my perspective what I thought about them getting Mark Parrish back. I don't even know if I've ever told Parrish this, or I must have. Anyway, they they come back from the Christmas break. The trade freezes isn't up. The first game back, Parrish breaks his foot, so now they can't <laughs> make the trade. And apparently, and Rick Dudley was all ticked off that he wouldn't let rick dudley make the trade for Parrish until Allen got my impression of what he thought but well
2: yeah. i'll tell you what uh i'd be the worst gm in, in nhl history so I, i'd be too emotional so i yeah. always warn people that reach out to me <laughs> yep take my you know take my uh <laughs> take my advice with a grain of salt because i honestly because I've, I've been asked before you know have you been you know have you ever thought about working for a team at a lower level and uh I just think I'd be too emotional, yeah. so I, I'm the, I'm the last guy that team should ever ask advice from, but, um, I, I, I uh, it's the, the, there's so many stories like that. Um, I, I share this on Twitter, uh, uh, responding to you recently, Mike, and, and, and people really laughed, but it, it was when I was doing, I think it was my Pierre Dorian GM interview and, <laughs> which ran last week and, uh, I don't know how this came up, but, uh um we were you know it was Pierre interviewing Pierre I guess and I think I tweeted you back and I said you know a, a number of years ago uh, a, a GM from another organization texted me with uh, a trade proposal meant for Pierre D'Orio and and of course texted me instead and uh and I of course I did the right thing honestly I immediately deleted it I never talked about it to anyone but I did tell the GM in question that he had texted the wrong Pierre and and uh, he was obviously yeah. happy that I never, you know, shared that info with anyone. And I can tell you that the senators never ended up making that deal. I wouldn't yeah. have, by the way, I wouldn't have
1: made it either. Well, but, uh, it is funny. Um, like I've, I've called Jim Rutherford before trying to call Jeremy a couple times, <laughs> by the way. And, uh, <laughs> you know, which is another. what was not there was another one. I like asked Siri to call somebody once and it w- and they wound up calling like, God, I cannot remember who it was, but it was like one of the most famous people on my phone. I'm like, Whoa, delete, you know, like, yeah. like, um, but it's funny. You just brought uh, traits up of GM. So the Dylan Lukes, who's a real aspiring sports, uh, he, he does he wants to work for an organization. He's smart enough not to want to be a sports writer, but he is an aspiring sports writer right now in, in uh, Minnesota. He actually asked, you two have obviously seen and talked to great GMs in the league. As a youngster like myself trying to get in the hockey role, what is one trait in any GM that sets them apart from everyone else and I actually think that is it. I think I think if you you've got to be patient. If you if you after a bad game, just like I got to get rid of that guy, you are not going to last long in this league. I mean, you've got to be patient.
2: Yeah, eliminating the emotion from it yeah. is 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 huge. And uh, you know, I think the uh, the longevity that people like uh, Lou Lamorello and David Poyle and Doug Armstrong have had, I think they're really good at that. Yeah, because the reality is, some losses really hurt, but. I can't remember a single instance of any of those veteran guys doing something out of emotion. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's very well thought out. Um, You know, you think about Doug Armstrong and, you know, really kind of methodically sticking to his guns on the Alex Petrangelo negotiations. You know, I mean, both sides moved at the end, but, you know, Doug Armstrong hates that he lost Alex Petrangelo. It it hurts the St. Louis Blues, but, you know, he had parameters in mind and a philosophy in mind that he's really protected. And the blues have one of the healthiest cap situations in the NHL. And, and they're a team that's not top heavy, uh, uh that is very deep, but, um, you know, Boston was like this for many years and to some degree still are, but there are philosophies there that are very important to a guy like Doug Armstrong. And I, I think a lot of young GMs look, look up to him for that. Mm-hmm. Um, Uh, so, so that's certainly something for me. I also think that, um, the job of GM is changing so much, so much. Yeah. I mean, you need a lot more staff around you. I think that GMs who try to do too much are getting themselves in trouble. Yeah. I I think you have to know how to delegate and to trust. And, um, I just don't think you can go out and scout like GMs used to do. You can still do it, but not as much. Yeah. You really have to trust your staff and. Um, you know, I think over the years of of the trust that Steve Eisenman had in building the lightning along with Julian Breesboa, the trust that they've had in Al Murray. Yep. And 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 that relationship and how it works, I, I think that's a great great model for a lot of a lot of managers
1: Yeah, we are gonna it's gonna be interesting with this the summer of bill Guerin. like you know he's gonna have a number in mind for kevin fiala if it's over that he's gonna have to move him i mean it's it's right. it really is that simple is that uh, why
2: ottawa keeps scouting Minnesota? yeah i have a
1: <laughs> feeling that is a hundred percent why um and, and i'm pretty sure dorian knows i know that um it's just uh i mean it's just so funny i mean uh, uh, uh but did I, I so i run into Pierre dorian uh, at the air canada counter this morning at the ottawa airport oh, really? and i just look at him and i'm like you're not on my flight to toronto he goes i am but i'm connecting to detroit so so <laughs> did he laugh at yeah, least yeah. <laughs> he had to th- no, it was, you know he had to think that i was just like are you ca- i cannot shake russo every time i see him <laughs> so he's just like all right you could tweet him in detroit but just do me a favor and wait till tonight so it was just uh, so i did i i tweet him at night so um do you, do you ever get burnt out, though? I mean, you get the summers off, I know. Um, like, I'm, I am I get burnt out. I, I don't, like, the 24-7 of this job and always feeling like, you know, you can never put your phone down. I cannot imagine what yeah. it would be like to be an insider. Like, I hope I can say this on the air. Like, I'm having uh, dinner with you and Elliot tonight. And I think just for fun, I'm going to take both your phones and just watch you guys sweat. <laughs> just watch you sweat. I think Elliot's more addicted to his phone than I am. I,
2: <laughs> I, I, I do. I mean, having kids has really helped me like uh, my three kids all play hockey it's a super yeah. busy household and I think that allows my brain to uh to reset yeah. at times and I actually <laughs> this is a funny story I actually <laughs> forgot my phone at home a couple of years ago when I brought my son to practice on a Sunday evening and I was like oh, I'm not driving all the way back like his practice was like 40 minutes away and uh <laughs> and wouldn't you know it that uh, near the end of practice the other hockey dads on the team were like oh my god are you checking twitter it, it was when the three-team deal went down with matt shane colorado ottawa and nashville oh my goodness and and i i didn't have my phone yeah i mean so by the time i got home i had about 19 text messages from uh Dregs and bob mckenzie saying where the where, where, where the fuck are you <laughs> <laughs> and I had to fess up. I left my phone at home and brought yeah. my kids to practice.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's probably, that was probably the straw that said, you know, like, I'd love to do that, to Bob, that Bob McKenzie thought that. And he's like, you know, I think I'm going to retire now. You know? It's oh, like, uh, yeah.
2: But you know what? I, I, I catch myself and yeah, I, I get tired and. And uh can't wait till you have that post trade deadline little zone. But then the offseason to me has actually become busier than trade deadline. Yeah. Like like from the draft to uh the second day of reagency has become a bigger moment in the season every year now yep. than trade deadline for me. No doubt. Really important decision making there. But I catch myself, I, I I don't complain because honestly, we're still so fortunate to do what we do for a living. And I mean that. I'm not yeah. saying that because I'm on your podcast. Like You know, uh, my wife's a lawyer, she works long hours. A lot of my friends uh, are in different walks of life. We're still in the toy department, man. Yeah. And we get paid well and, and it's fun. And you know, does it feel just as much fun as it did 27 years ago when we started? Not quite. Yeah. But I not a day that doesn't go by that I'm like, man, I'm still doing this. This is great.
1: No, that's a good point. And sometimes I need to remind myself about it because, you know, there, you know, the, it's just weird. Like I, I feel guilty saying that because so many people would love this job. You know, mm-hmm. I just ran into somebody the other day is like, what a cool job. You know, this was, was at the Edmonton airport and it was just some random hockey fan that knew who I was and starts talking to me. And I'm just like, I'm miserable right now. Get away from me. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. But you know what? I mean, it was you like had it was, your Starbucks. Yeah, it yet. was like, it was it, actually the Starbucks was closed and I was ticked about it. But, but it is like, I don't know what it is. It's just, it you know, back then, it's kind of what you said earlier how it's a very different world now. Like, like back when I was a young sports writer, and maybe it's because I was also closer to the player's age, mm-hmm. like the players, I never got the impression they were like scared of you or, or, you know mm-hmm. didn't trust you and now a lot of it is social media or podcasts like there's multiple ways to piss off a player these days but it was like a different world like if, if i yeah. you know you get to a hotel and you actually it was not unheard of for you to just go grab a beer with a player yeah like you run into him in lobby and it's like you know hey you want to go grab a beer you know like, yeah i'll go yeah. you know like it was that i, I don't and know to
2: be honest I, I don't know that at this point because i'm nearing 50 that I would be as eager to grab a beer with yeah. a 22 year old player. And that's true. Like yeah, I yep. think age does play. Yep. I'm way more interested in grabbing a beer with a coach or a GM for exactly. sure. Exactly. But um, yeah, and of course, the pandemic has changed the way we do things. I mean, um, you know, I'm not near. I'm not nearly at the rink as much during the pandemic because. My shtick is to pull a guy aside, is to pull someone aside and yeah. have a private conversation. And that's really not happening still in most drinks.
1: Yeah, Everything's
2: it's still text podiums yep. and, and Zooms. And yep. so I've really lived off my phone the yeah. last two years. And yeah. it's fine, I've gotten the job mm-hmm. done, but I'm looking forward to the world
1: you know, completely reopening NHL wise. Which yep. We're not certainly. It is weird by the way, seeing you with an iPhone and not a BlackBerry. I remember, <laughs> I still remember even like, it feels like five years ago, you opening up that leather little thing. Like it was like a book, your, yes. your BlackBerry. You know? I miss it's, it. Yeah. I miss it. I think it
2: really came down to the IT folks at TSN saying, we don't know what to do with your BlackBerry. <laughs> so I, I had to finally yeah. switch. Um,
1: last question on this, before we get to actual hockey stuff, um, t- TV is something that's interesting. Like I watch you guys all the time on TSN Yes, Inside trading all that stuff and you all of you um you know are so at ease in front of the camera so professional in front of the camera how much of a transition was that for you when you went to hot stove to sort of learn that craft i mean we all got into this to be sports writers next thing you know we're doing multimedia
2: and i still feel despite the fact a lot of people know me from gsn i i I still feel i'm a writer at heart Mm -hmm. i'm never going to want to stop writing and that's why i love what i do with the athletic um there was a transition. I was not immediately comfortable. In fact, before I ever got on Hockey Night in Canada, Canadians will remember this a lot more than Americans, obviously, but I was on a a former sports network called The Score, which is mm-hmm. actually where Elliot Freeman got his debut and James Cebalski, Steve Coolius. uh,
1: was Merrick there? Uh, or Tim no?
2: McAuliffe.
1: Yeah, Merrick wasn't there. What was he?
2: I don't know. I don't think so. I, okay. I met Jeff Merrick at a hockey night uh okay. when, when I was still there. But uh and Jeff Merrick did a lot of radio. I think Jeff he Merrick got a start
1: actually on the fan here in Toronto. Yeah, I he think, was yeah. an
2: excellent radio host. Yeah. Um anyway, uh I, I started doing my I like you know doing some TV at the score part time when I was at the Canadian press, probably back in 03. And uh I was not very good. <laughs> I was, it was definitely uh deer in the headlights. The first couple of times I saw that red light go on and I did a lot of hits with Steve Coolius. So that was my main panel uh and uh you know thank god that i had that because by the time i did get to and canada at least i had about a year and a half two years of the score under me
1: which yeah. helped yeah i met with this kid at a coffee shop the other day who wants to be a sports writer and i remember telling him like it like not so much tv but i i still my stepfather made this scrapbook of like all my early articles in the boca news and sunset and all and i used to they're up in my attic right now and i used to sometimes flip through these like big notebooks and i'm like how the hell did i make it in this business like these are garbage (laughs) i have the same feeling it's just it's it's like unbelievable that i i
2: I started my parents kept the scrapbook of mine uh when, when i was 16 years old despite playing hockey myself i i because i knew what i wanted to do for a living eventually i covered men's league hockey in hearst ontario wow and, uh, you know, it was a fight field beer league, uh, yeah. and, and the, the, it was in French. So I wrote in French, it was a weekly called Le Nord, which uh, in English means the North uh, is the, is the name of the paper. And I was 16 high school, grade 11. And I would, uh, write three or four game overs game summaries for the paper and they would appear every week. And, wow. And, uh, and that's, I, I, I still have those and. They're terrible, yeah, but but it's certainly. I got to be honest. I did all that before I ever went to journalism school, yeah. and I actually felt it gave me a leg up on a lot of other yeah. students because I. I covered some live events.
1: Yeah, well, and these articles were when I was, I mean, I started sports writing when I was 15. I mean, these were right. 16, 17. I still remember my first time on TV. So I used to, I was like 16, 17 years old covering high school football for the Sun Sentinel. And I used to go on Channel 5, WPTV in West Palm Beach as a 16 year old and do their high school football show on Sunday nights wow. with Anthony Pittman was the was one of the uh, TV uh, sportscasters and a, and a woman named Lisa Matejcik, who I think her name is Lisa Pride now. She married a baseball player. Player, I think Curtis Pride maybe, and um and uh and I still it's funny my first time ever on TV the closing song as they went to credits was um Tom Petty's Running Down a Dream and it's (laughs) one of my favorite songs ever since like every single time I hear this song I think about those days as a teenager doing TV and but it what it was to me I was awesome I was awful I mean it was like but it was reps. Like, I, I VH – I'm telling you, I put – I, I still have it, a VCR of, like, one of my first times on TV. Yeah. And I counted. I said the word outstanding about 35 times. Yeah. Every football player was outstanding. Every coach was outstanding. Every team was outstanding. There was no non-outstanding team in, in Palm Beach County, Florida yeah. that was a football team.
2: When, uh, reps are huge, to yeah. your point. I mean, there's no way around it. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and one of the pieces of advice that I got writing wise that always stuck with me, uh, and I got it really young. I must—I was probably 23 when I got this. But you know, sometimes it's—it's it's, especially when I used to cover a lot more games for a living. It's like 11 p.m., and you're like, you know, what's my lead? Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, I mean, sometimes yeah. that would happen, especially yeah. when you're younger. Um, and I'll never forget the advice from a from a, a senior journalist uh, who said. When we go for a beer after we're done work here tonight and we're all going to sit down and we're all going to blurt out the first thing that we're going to want to talk about that game because it's going to be the instinctual conversation. Why isn't that in your lead?
0: Right. Makes sense. It sounds
2: obvious, by the way, but it actually is something that – on nights where I thought there were three possible angles, but yeah. well, what's the first thing we're gonna wanna talk about? Yeah. That's always we stuck with me.
1: Yeah, no, it's a great, it is, it's great advice. Um, at the Star Tribune, <laughs> I, I had a bad habit of like writing 16 leads and then I'd get into my game story. Like, but like, actually those would be in the first But like, it would help you cover read. a lot of things, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. It was just like, sometimes I just, uh, you know, I look back at some of the writing that I do and it's just like, you know, not want my worst, I don't know, I, I asked somebody this the other day and it's one of my worst habits as a sports writer, t- still to this day, is I can't write a graph without rereading the whole story. It's I don't know if everybody does this, and maybe it's why I'm so slow still writing, where I watch other sports writers and I'm so envious on how quickly they get up and leave a press box. Yeah. I can't write a graph. And sometimes I'll work on these 3,000-word features at The Athletic, or if Mark Wallman's listening, 8,000 words he knows better <laughs> than anybody. And it, and I wonder why it'll take me five, str- m- like, horrible Exhausting days to write it. And then I realized, well, I've read the previous twenty five thousand crafts like yeah. every single time. I can't, I can't do it. I don't know why that well, is. But it's on that, I habit. would
2: I would say on that, there's nothing wrong with anyone's process. Yeah. Like that's your process. Yeah. And I don't think being fast or slow has any bearing on the final product. I, yeah. I happen to be fast because I spent 13 years at a news agency. Yeah. So our optional lead after a game with quotes had to be in within the hour.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So Absolutely.
2: it is what it is. That yep. just becomes your DNA yep. and and uh e- when I switched to espn.com even though I had way more time yep. and I would even say wait till tomorrow morning I still had it in within an hour yeah. because I was just yeah. by then I was trained
1: Is Canadian press exactly like AP in terms yeah. of like so yeah, like yeah, when, are, you know so
2: I would rely news
0: services Yeah. So yeah. when I
1: was young like below probably 18 i started running quotes for ap in miami and so i got that was a real learning lesson for me so i'm covering high school games on the side but then i'm hanging out in marlins press box panthers uh you know which is terrific yeah and you're watching first of all professional sports writers work Mm -hmm. but then there are those times where you're not just running quotes you're actually given the keyboard Mm -hmm. and write this and I, i remember remember i mean that was back in the day where like the ninth inning of a baseball game you're on the phone with new york and like if all of a sudden something changes in that game, you're dictating your new lead. Yep. And then the PMer. Did you yeah, have to do PMers? PMers, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that uh, like that was uh that was a great learning Which for lesson. People for people listening, is is it, it was a th- a third
2: version of your yep. column essentially for the for Almost the morning like a baby.
1: featureized type yeah. thing. Yeah, like yeah. a little like very different, like kind of, you know. But it was a huge learning lesson for me, you know. Yeah. And it helped me expand my horizons because now I was actually seeing how professional writers work, getting to know other writers in town, out of town. It was pretty mm-hmm. neat. Working a go in an actual locker room where you're not just interviewing a high school coach on the or a player on the sideline it was it was neat yeah. and and you got stats given to you rather than you keeping it yourself which was kind of fun so, <laughs> <Yeah>. so. <laughs> that
2: was a big step
1: up yeah that was a huge step up i'm like wow this is amazing i don't even have to keep my own stats at a dolphin game that's pretty crazy um let's talk a little hockey uh right now trade deadline coming up um and tell me by the way when we have to leave here for dinner here i um, oh, we got some time here. okay um so uh this is a weird time by the way lebron's not drinking this month this is crazy
2: i'm t- having a a little, uh, little reset, yeah. yeah. Once in a while, it's good like, for the oh, body. Yeah, I am excited to like, get
1: into the vino with you, like that time at Burns when you bought, what yeah. was it, in 1960? I think it was a 68 Freemark Abbey. Yeah. Oh, and then good. we had a 78, right? Which was a, like, it was like, we had a 68, and then we bought the next, like 10 years later, and the difference between the two is pretty yeah remarkable. Yeah. Actually, when I say- hat, it, Tip of the yeah. hat to Burns takeouts, by yeah. the way. And by the way, when I say we bought- I meant you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Listen, <laughs> Which my my wife could be listening.
1: Though, yeah, know, me in trouble. <laughs> Uh
2: yeah. So so think of me the night of trade deadline after yeah. we're done when, with all the craziness, because that'll be uh yeah, I'll be I'll be having a glass of wine. I
1: mean, think of that sixty eight, like in nineteen sixty eight, how long that thing like was in the barrel in that bottle. It's crazy. It is. Yeah, I mean it really is. It's it's not it's not. Stop make me stop making me think of wine. I know, I'm sorry. Wait till <laughs> you see me tonight. Um anyway. <laughs> Does this mean I can't have wine tonight? Oh, no. Okay, you you go good. to town, brother. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, let's talk a little wild, a little uh, NHL uh, trade deadline coming up. You've been doing a lot of work on this lately. You've gotten to talk to a lot of GMs. Um, let's start with the Minnesota Wild. You got you had a good conversation with Bill Guerin the other day. And um, you know what was your first takeaway from that? And the interesting part for me was there was him basically saying, you know, I really, he's been part of two trade long lines in the past. He knows how stressful it can be, both for the team and for that player to just parachute in on the day of the trade deadline mm. and he likes to make deals earlier we saw that with zucker a couple of years ago too where he made it a couple of weeks in advance of the trade deadline
2: he's stressed that he's yep. stressed that in the interview that in a perfect world he'd like to move uh, a lot quicker that he learned that from jim rutherford in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And jim rutherford has made a lot of january trades in his in its history but it, it is what it is um uh, you know that deal has to be there um and I also, and listen, when I'm doing these interviews, I think that the GMs are obviously just showing a very small sliver of their of their game plan, which is understandable. But I did, um, I felt a bit of reticence from Garen's part yeah. to uh, blow his mind out at, at this deadline, despite mm-hmm. all the cap ramifications moving yeah. forward. Um, I think he has seen that, you know you can you can just as easily make a pretty big mistake as opposed to helping your team yeah. so i still think he's going to add up front um you would know better than me that's the sense i got from him but i think he's going to be careful
1: yeah i don't see him um you know it's funny because if and if this were maybe i'd be a bad gm it's like if it were me and i had these these cap Squeezes coming up here in the in the next couple of years. I would look at the, like, wow, this is my year of flexibility. Yeah. And we have all these prospects. Like, what's another first round pick that might be in the 20s anyway? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that this would be the year to trade a top prospect and a pick for maybe a closure or something like that. But I get, it, I get the impression it's the complete opposite for him. That he would never want to trade a first round pick and like a, you know, one of his top defense prospects for a guy mm-hmm. that he has no ability to sign.
2: Yeah, who knows? I mean, I, I it's funny because I, I I felt you know I know everyone wants to see Claude Giroux go to Colorado um, if Clojure ever decides he wants to go anywhere. I think we I think that bears repeating. That yeah, Claude Giroux needs to bring himself through this process first. But I always feel like Minnesota is the one of the wild card teams in this mm-hmm. because I think they could use him in in the circle. And I know he's a winger now, <laughs> but it's still a bit more pop to the offense. Uh, not that the Wild aren't scoring goals; they sure are, but. He's a special player, yeah. and and um, but I like you. I don't know that that's where Bill Guerin's looking. And no. the one thing I would say, I, I guess the counter to what you just said is, is that the Wild are going to be in a jam this summer, cap wise. And I know that Wild fans don't want to hear about the summer because they have a special team this year that can go deep. But holding on to a lot of your assets now could come in handy this summer when you may need to use assets to get out of your cap situation to some degree. I mean, you're not getting out of suit and breeze, eh? that is what it is. But, but in terms of their Mm -hmm. buyouts, but we've seen in the past two years how it's been expensive for teams to get out of a jam cap wise. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Flyers had to spend an extra asset just to get Goss's bear to Arizona. Yeah. Um, Washington paid through the nose in that deal with the Red Wings last year at the trade deadline, it was all cap related, right? Yeah. So there may be some value in Minnesota having all their tools in a toolbox. That yeah. Way.
1: And I think that is how he feels. Like I could see him making little depth moves. Like I think he's, I, I think a week or two ago, he wasn't probably going to get a, uh, a six or 70. I think he might now. Right. Um, you know, one thing I'd be interested, I think, I think they do want to get a little grittier on the forward uh, side. So I could see them adding like a 12th, 13th forward type. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing is like, look, they're going to try to sign Jack McBain. I think there's a really good college free agent center that they might go after that mm-hmm. they might want to say, hey, we could play you right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's going to be those type of things that, that might be his move.
2: And, and with every game that Bowley plays, don't you think that he's answering some questions yeah, too? Like, yeah. And he's going to get paid now.
1: <laughs> like, right. like now. Like now, their cap situation gets a little more complicated because they're going to have to pay him in a year. Right. You know, it's, it's really, really interesting. Um, Joe Pavelski, uh, it certainly sounds from your piece and you're talking to Jim Neal the other day that they want to, that that's their, they're not going to make him open to the, to the highest bidder. Um, they certainly don't yeah. want to.
2: They, Jim Neal made it clear that he's sitting down with Pavelski and Pavelski's agent, Dan Plant shortly and to try and find a way to extend them that they're mm-hmm. ready to do that now that they don't need to wait till after the year and that they, they want to sign him and they want to completely remove that uncertainty out of the trade deadline but it, it you got to get it done Yeah. so i'm not ready to say 100 yeah. percent that
1: uh why don't more gms like let's say dallas does fall out of it, which it does i mean they're winning they're well, right on the, yeah, yeah, the bubble there. But you're still going to have to play Colorado, <laughs> you know, if <laughs> right. they make the playoffs. Um, and, you know, why don't some t- – like, I used to – I thought this with Paul Fenton. Like, why would you give Eric Stoll an extension when you're not making the pl- or when you're not going to make the playoffs? Why don't you go to him and say, look, on the side, come back here. I'll sign you that two-year deal right. in the summer. Like, why wouldn't Jim Neal say to Pavelski that now, hey, I'm going to trade you, get some assets, but come back to us in the summertime?
2: I mean, we've talked a lot about that scenario over the years. It almost never happens. It happened once with Doug Waite. Yeah. And I can't remember if it was him in Carolina with, yeah. going back or with St. Louis, but it it, it happened. Doug Waite yeah. did it, I think.
1: I think Matt Molson with the Minnesota, I think he came at the trade deadline with uh, Cody McCormick, and they both went back to Buffalo. Right. So, I so remember so thinking of, like, Chuck Fletcher, he probably was like, why didn't I add some protection
2: <laughs> there? You know? So. Um and to answer your question specifically, not generally, but specifically on Pavelski, I think it's clear that when Jim Neal talks about Joe Pavelski, he's talking more than about hockey player.
1: Yeah.
2: He's talking about a guy that's brought in a lot of leadership and and not even so much with his words, because I think Joe Pavelski's a quiet guy, but the way he handles himself on and off the ice. Yeah. Yeah i think that he wants his kids in dallas to have another guy to look at you know in in that room so i love that guy so the value is not just about the fact that he's their leading scorer by the way but that they just want him around yeah yeah i i
1: i would think the world but we'll see
2: i mean do they sign him do they not they want to we'll see if they can get it done though, your gut thinks he goes somewhere i think he will i think it's gonna be very emotional for him yeah he clearly is the last person I would have every single person thinking about Claude Drew and the trade deadline in the entire world. He is the last person getting himself to that yeah. frame of mind. Yeah. It, Flyers is the only team he's ever played for. Uh, it's going to be difficult, but Pat Brisson, as we speak, his agent is he has clearance from Chuck Fletcher is reaching out directly to teams to size up the market. Mm-hmm. And then I think Pat Brisson going to come to Claude Drew with that information and then they're gonna develop a short list and then go back to Chuck Fletcher with a short list. You can't just go with one team. Yeah. That's not fair to the
1: Flyers. Well, Chuck Fletcher got screwed in Minnesota that way. I mean, that, that's what happened. Eric well, um, Shedlitzky. Buffalo with yep. Buffalo with Taylor Hall last yeah. year. Yeah.
2: Yes. It's pretty clear. Yep. And at yep. the end of the day, he just wanted to go to Boston yep. and they they only got a second round pick, yep.
1: right? You ever want to get Chuck Fletcher going, ask him out only wanted to go to New Jersey? I, 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 I remember I, that. Oh, it was unbelievable. We were in Dallas when that trade happened. <laughs> I also think that Claude Giroux
2: wants to do well by the Flyers. Like yeah. I think it's important for everyone in this process to to feel good about how this is going to go down, and, and and so that's why you, you give the Flyers a few options so they can net you know net a yeah. result from it. Yeah. No doubt about it.
1: Um, but he is a flyer. I mean, that guy's got an orange beard. You know, <laughs> 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 Thomas Hurdle. Your thoughts. So I actually checked
2: in on that yesterday um uh, he has uh, not yet received uh an extension offer an official offer from the Sharks mm-hmm. um uh, that is coming like the Sharks are going to try and sign him That one I don't have as good a feel for compared to Pavelski that one could really go either way I think yeah. um Cuz it know, was
1: interesting like Will came out and said we're gonna it almost made it's like we're going to he wants to say we're going to sign him and then and then hurdle kind of a day right. or two later it was almost like not so fast i'm, right. a, sh- I'm a shark now but it was like pay me you yeah, know that's the I, way i, 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 I think it.
2: this is the biggest contract in his career and 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 absolutely don't blame the player for yeah they're really gonna have to step up and the sharks are it's tough because they've got some pretty good con- pretty big contracts on the books yeah that i think even if they do get evander kane off the books depending on the grievance and, and i suspect they'll actually have to I think there'll be some payment there. Just yep. at least it won't be seven million a year probably. Yep. But I think even with all that, I don't know if they can pay Hurdle what he would get on the open market. Yeah. So I, I, that's a fascinating one. The New York Rangers are definitely a team that's waiting in the wings, seeing what's going to happen with Thomas Hurdle. I, I think they re, they're really high on him. Yeah. But they're not alone. I mean, if Thomas Hurdle's on the trade market, he's automatically, the, for me, the number one rental forward on the market. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. The guy for me that would be the number one rental D on the market if he doesn't sign is Hampus Lindholm, Uh, but as I reported this week, um, the Ducks have actually approached him and and his agent Claude Lemieux and they're going to try and work something out. But. We'll see if they can.
1: I think it's funny that you said that because I was talking to a sports writer the other day that's on the East and he was like, is Lindholm really that good? I'm like, yeah, maybe you got to be in the West to to watch him a lot. Like he is a good player.
2: And it's not about the Sports Center highlights with him. It's just that he does everything so well and he's a workhorse and and it's just one of those every tool in a toolbox, but not like, you know, John Klingberg is a better offensive player. Yeah. But Lindholm is 23 minutes a night, consistent. Yeah. And PK,
1: yeah. PP, if you want. Um, everything. Yeah.
2: This this might Physical be the Blair. worst
1: thing. Like if if um you know, like <laughs> honestly, Pat Verbig's listening to this, he's probably gonna throw up when I say it, but I feel like he's like a poor man, Jonas Brodean. Like like to me, mm-hmm. like that's what Brodean is. Like like, you know, like like doesn't like there's just an underratedness to Lynn Holmes game that you've got to watch him every night to appreciate it. I think it's the same with Brodean. Yeah. Um couple more malkin i heard brian burke uh some highlight m- might have been on uh on hockey night the other day where he almost made it sound like they still have to make a decision on malkin uh, do you th- even buy that i mean malkin's not getting traded right
2: um no he's not getting traded right uh, i think probably i haven't heard what you're referring to my guess is they're talking about the offseason decision because okay. he's a ufa no no they're, they're all in and, and in fact when i interviewed ron hextall uh, last month uh, it was interesting timing. I got lucky, but it, it was like Ron Hextall had brought himself to the point with the way this team is playing this year where I'm not rebuilding this team right now. Yeah, like he basically had accepted that <laughs> where he was when he got hired a year ago, Ron Hextall, to where he is now has changed. Yep, because the Penguins, the players have forced his hand, the, the players are saying our window is still open. And so I quoted Hextall saying, I'm going to try and sign all these free agents. Yeah. I was pretty surprised. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean he can get it done because there's a, there's a salary cap. Right. Um, he went out and extended Jeff Carter. Um, you know, he's got Brian Rust, he's got, he's got to sign at some point. Uh, and of course, Latang okay. and Balkan are the big two um so we'll see of course we all know ken hughes is going to bring chris latang to montreal anyway, right 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 just kidding everyone (laughs) just kidding (laughs)
1: yeah yeah exactly did say my brother used to like work for an agent that ken hughes was affiliated with so my brother used to do some work on the side when he was growing up uh wanting to be an agent with ken hughes so uh my brother was super excited when hughes became the gm there um a couple more for you, and then we'll uh, wrap up the show here and go to dinner. Um, and uh, I'll drink wine, and you could watch. Um, <laughs> I'll, <laughs> um, eat, I'll eat steak. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Vancouver. So, like Besser's dealt with trade rumors for the last two or three years. This mm-hmm. time, it is, I believe, hundred percent real. Like I think they are tr- they are willing and uh, to move them. Um, that's the impression I've got from talking to people there. What's What do you think there, and what's your thoughts on JT Miller?
2: Yeah, so I think you're right on Besser, but it's not, I don't think it's about the Canucks going out and calling everyone and saying we're trading this guy. But I think it's, we're definitely listening. Yeah. Would be my interpretation. I think on JT Miller, and I talked about this last week on TSN, but I, the word I got from a lot of front offices over the past two weeks is they feel the Canucks have reeled them back in a bit. Yeah. I don't know what you've heard, but. But, but. His name had been out there so long. I've heard that it
1: would be an extraordinary price to get him.
2: Yeah. So I think what's happened (laughs) is they dangled him early um, or obviously uh, underwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And I've let teams know that we're not under the impression that we have to move him. A, that we don't have to move him before this deadline. He's got another year in his deal. And and I, I will tell you point blank that the Canucks as a front office feel that his value does not diminish past this trade deadline in their mind. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying I agree with them. Uh, but B, they love the player so much that they're also keep going back and forth, I think. And we need to extend this guy this summer as opposed to moving yeah. up. And I don't think they've decided either way on any of that. Yeah. So I think all options are on the table. But the bottom line is for JT Miller.
1: You've got to really seriously put a bit in there. You, yeah,
2: you're, you're not just
1: getting that guy. Yep, no doubt about it. Um, two more for you, Mark Andre Fleury.
2: Yeah, that's going to come down to what he wants. Yeah, he doesn't have a full no move, but the but part of the convincing him to go to Chicago from Vegas last summer was that they basically told him we wouldn't move you without your consent. Mm-hmm. So he's he's running the ship now. Um, I think Washington makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I know it's crazy with the whole Penguins and Caps rivalry, yeah. but, but that's the team to me that like, there is no tomorrow for Washington. Yeah. Now I know Ovechkin just signed extension and sort of backstrom, but the reality is this is not about three years from now for the Caps. Like every single game they play feels like their windows, Yeah, you know. So can you go in the playoffs with those two young goalies and feel like you 100% believe in what you're going to get from them? Yeah,
1: Seems and
2: I don't think the Caps have decided either way on that yet, but they're certainly having that yeah. discussion. Yeah,
1: I remember when the when the Wild were pursuing him a couple of years ago before they signed Talbot. I I I was so like, please let it. Happen. I would love to cover that guy. That guy is such a beauty. Oh the other, yeah, they were in Minnesota what about, about three weeks ago? I mean, weirdest conversation I've ever. He and I were talking about his like Louis Vuitton scarf for like <laughs> that guy is guy just a beauty. He's just a he, he's a man of the people. Yeah, um, yeah, he is. That's exactly what he is. He's like like his smiley persona is like what he is. He's like this jovial like kid. Yeah. You know,
2: I love following yeah. the goalie carousel. By the way, every off season, I, my whole column yeah. last year after the first day of free agency was the domino effect of all
1: the decisions yeah. that were made and um how the Seattle situation really changed. Well,
2: everything. it. it when they got it, Grubauer. You know, Colorado's number one option was to re-sign Grubauer, and they went at it hard. They, In fact, they went at it six, seven hours into free agency. It went so late, which denied them other possibilities because yeah. other guys were signing. And, and Colorado's plan B was Freddie Anderson. Yep. But Freddie Anderson couldn't sit around and wait. Yeah. So he took his plan B, which was Carolina. Now, I'm yep. sure if he was listening today, he'd say Carolina was his plan A, but I'm just <laughs> telling you that- Colorado and Freddie Anderson had some conversations yeah. that by Grubauer, you know, Colorado felt, oh, we're that close, we're that close. By the time Grubauer signed in Seattle, which shocked everyone, Colorado had, I, I think there were no UFAs left, or if there was one left, he signed somewhere else. And then they paid through the nose for Darcy Kemper, who, yeah. who's been terrific of late, but in no way was that plan A for the Colorado yeah, yeah. Avalanche. So no. the whole thing is fascinating. And yeah. you mentioned Cam Talba, that's from the previous, uh, Asian period in October 2020, um, that weird October 9th yeah, 2020. Yeah. But it's interesting now to see how well Cam Talbot has has turned out in in Minnesota after being discarded by Calgary. But you can't really criticize Calgary for making yeah. that call because Jacob Markstrom might win the Vesna this year. Yeah. So it, it, it's it's kind of crazy yeah, that whole no thing. Doubt. And, and the team that Markstrom nearly signed with, other than Calgary, was Edmonton. Yeah. And how would that changed the Oilers' narrative if they had Jacob
1: Markstrom? It's Markster, unreal. Like yep. uh, yeah. <laughs> I was in Edmonton three days ago <laughs> yeah. and watched the Wild just light up Mike Smith and, and mm. Cosco. And honestly, it was that was as bad a goaltending performance as I've seen this year. Um, last one, Char and why can I, I get to cover him? <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) I would love to cover that guy Uh, He and the wild
2: need a depth D. He's one of the most interesting and intelligent hockey players I've ever interviewed in my life, number one. Um, I know that every Bruins beat writer will tell you that. Um, so that one's an interesting one. I I did talk about that this week on insider trading. The Islanders are getting calls on him as you might expect. It doesn't sound like Lula Morello's ready to respond to Mm -hmm. teams calling. Uh he doesn't want to give up on the season yet, even though the standings look pretty bleak. But then it, even after Lamarello is going to uh accept his, his fate, it's still not a sure thing. Lamarello has an interesting thing over the years of not always trading his UFAs. Yeah. So so you can't count on it. Yeah. yeah. And and number two, despite the fact that Chara doesn't have any no trade protection, um, there's no question in my mind from what I gather that. Lamorello is only going to do what Chaira wants in this right. case, out of respect for Hall of Famers. So yeah. what does Chera want to do? I mean, yeah. he's never been dealt at the deadline before. He's been dealt, of course, when he was young, the famous trade to Ottawa. Yeah. But I mean, he's never been a deadline pickup. Yeah. So is he okay with that yeah. uh, family-wise to leave for a couple months to go chase another cup? Um, I suspect he will. Um, and he only he makes the, the league minimum. So yeah. basically zero cap implications uh, he's probably just going to be able to pick his team.
1: Yeah. Hey, I know that I said this, but a couple people asked him at Arizona. What's What do you think like, <laughs> the owners think of this whole thing?
2: You mean uh, the the 5,000-seat yeah. rink and everything? That's I really mean, about 3,800. It, you know, listen, it's, it's, it's a really tough situation. And the only reason the league and everyone is going along with this is because they actually believe once and for all that a new rink is going to get built. Mm-hmm. Because if there was enough doubt into that, I mean, you'd have to move the team. Yeah. But I think at this juncture that the league truly believes that new rink will eventually get built in Tempe and they're willing to live with this, it's it's not good. The other thing I would tell you is that I think you and I have covered Gary Bettman for a long time. (laughs) I mean, he's doubled down and tripled down on protecting that market. And I actually, by the way, I believe that if they ever finally built the rink in the right place, I actually think that 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 is, that is could be a good market. Yeah. Like the reasons why the San Jose Sharks never get any of this kind of press is because they built for its era a terrific rink in downtown San Jose and have had stable ownership forever. Right. Those are two important factors. Yeah. But San Jose is not a bigger market than Arizona. Yeah. But the difference is where you build a rink and who owns the team. Yep. Yep. And both those things have been afflictions for Arizona over the years, but yeah. but you anyway, know my point is the commissioner has gone so long on on protecting that market that yeah. I I think that's going to be part of his legacy.
1: Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. Um. um. At selfishly, I love going there, so I'm never going to go after Batman. For, <laughs> I'm, people like always ask me about this. I'm like, shut up. Let's just let's yeah. keep them in Arizona. I love going it, there. Yeah. You know? I didn't I didn't so much love it when I was in Florida because I was in Florida. But when you live in Minnesota and you get to go there in the middle of January, it's a pretty good gig. Let's keep them there. No question. I'll, pl- I'll be happy to cover them in that 3,800- like seed arena for the rest of time, just to (laughs) go there. Pierre, this was a lot of fun. I'm looking for it. Well, how are you Cowboys fan though? I know that's probably a thousand. Everybody probably knows that, but
2: that's a long story. I'll try and make it short, but uh, I I was, uh, I was, I think 10 years old and I had never seen an NFL game in my life. My dad hates the NFL. My dad's Mm -hmm. still alive. My dad's a CFL guy. And um, one night when I was about 10 years old, I think it was 80 or 81. Uh, or 82, maybe I was nine years old. Anyway, the first play I've ever seen from scrimmage in my life of mm-hmm. an NFL game was Tony Dorsett, 99 yards on Monday night. Football, wow, Harry mm-hmm. And I remember asking my dad, you know, who's the team with the star on the helmet? And my dad said, it's the Dallas Cowboys, everyone hates them. <laughs> and it was right there in that moment. Yeah. And it's funny because, uh, most Cowboys fans pick. Picked them up in the 70s or 90s, you know, their glory years. I picked them up in the 80s where they never won anything, but (laughs) at least they went to
1: a championship game. But yeah, uh, yeah. and then I just. I don't know. It just grew from there. Yeah. All right. Here's the last question. This is a great one. Somebody asked, so you, there, there's a famous story in Minnesota of me hiding in the bushes at St. Paul Airport to watch Suter and Neil Sheehy and all these guys get <laughs> off the plane. Somebody <laughs> says, do you have a, a hiding in the bushes uh, uh, moment? Like an old school journalism where you had to go out? I actually had one recently,
2: of really? all things, uh, at the recent NHL Board of Governors meetings. It's not nearly as uh, sexy as yours, but at uh, the recent board of Governors meetings, which is the owners' meetings in early December in Palm Beach Florida um I happened to be walking by where the where the executive committee was meeting early in the morning. That's just a smaller group of owners who have all the power who meet with Gary Bettman and Bill Daly early in the morning and then all the owners meet later in the day and and that's usually a pretty important meeting in this particular case they met with the new um um Pittsburgh Penguins owners from Fenway. Mm -hmm. But then as that executive committee meeting kept going, I I caught from the corner of my eye, I saw that Gary Bettman wasn't in the meeting. And I was like, that's weird. So I went away for a bit, went to grab a coffee in the media room at the hotel. And then I decided to walk back in front of their (laughs) room. And I saw again that Gary Bettman was still not in the room. Mm Mm-hmm. And then I went to get there in Dreger, and, and Dregs and I talked about it and he, and he agreed that's a bit strange. So I came back again and looked and he was still outside the executive committee meeting. And now we're talking a good 40, 45 minutes. Very abnormal. Yes. And so the spider senses were going, and I don't know if you remember some of the coverage that yeah. came out of that, cause I, I felt forced to ask at the news conference, yeah, that was the that. access we had to him about whether something was going on with his future. Yeah, he was and, very terse about, and it. he was not happy with yeah. my line of questioning. But yeah. you know, a lot of people believe that that he may have got an extension that day, but perhaps an extension with a lot of follow up questions mm-hmm. about what's yeah. next. Yeah. So we don't. Really, again, no one wants to talk. A, about it
1: but that was a weird day and so i
2: was kind of sleuthing back and forth now i'm worried because they know this that they're going to bar the area the next board of governors meetings yeah
1: i've had a couple of those where i gave a little secrets (laughs) out and uh and uh next thing you know things were I don't even want to get into that. I've had a couple (laughs) of these moments where it's like, I was a little too talkative and then all of a sudden some things got buttoned up. So I was actually scared. It's funny. So uh, I got, uh, I, I shadowed the NHL offices in New York city a couple of weeks ago and I got the grand tour of the place, like with nobody in there. And I, got into like with the area where Bill Daley and, and uh and Gary Bettman's offices were and I of course I took pictures and sent it to them and some like I'm oh, I'm just going to make myself comfortable. And I thought that after I sent those texts to Bill that was probably not a smart idea. <laughs> He's going to be like start locking up They'll the never place be like, yeah, exactly. again. <laughs> yeah I probably got somebody fired that day. Hey, this was a lot of fun. If you ask a Twitter question, I know I got a ton for to Pierre and I didn't get to a bunch. I still hope you enjoyed the podcast. Uh Pierre's you can read them, you can see them uh, on TSN, you can read them in The Athletic. There, any question you have, I guarantee Pierre is going to answer in the next couple of weeks anyway. So, Pierre, this was a lot of fun. Let's go, uh, you you have some water and I'll have some wine.
2: Yeah, well, this was an honor, buddy. Yeah. You're, you're the king
1: and... <laughs> yep. uh, do you mind Fair if I take enough. one of your dogs with me? It's like a little. No, least, uh, but, okay. uh, that would not be cool. Uh, uh, your dogs, though, are so cool. I want to take at <laughs> least one. You know, you three, you, you can give up just, one. Just
2: don't go around the house, take pictures and tweet them. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I won't. I appreciate it,
1: Pierre. <laughs> See, although I got a really cool look at your little studio there. That was pretty neat. Uh, uh, That's yeah. pretty
0: cool. So thanks, Pierre. All right. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said? See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because no. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read PG-13.
1: Well, my thanks as always to Pierre Lebrun for joining uh, Straight from the Source. Actually, I think this might have been his first time ever on Straight from the Source. What an honor for him huh? Uh, No, thanks. Always full of information, a good, good friend. Um, And honestly, one of the big reasons why I came to The Athletic athletic many, many years ago, uh, one of the secrets that I knew uh, when I joined The Athletic is that Pierre LeBron was joining a week before me. Uh, So that was one of the big reasons why I I, uh, joined this awesome, awesome um, uh, website and app and everything that comes with The Athletic, uh, including podcasts galore. Ian Mendez and Julian McKenzie welcome Olympic analyst and two-time Olympic medalist Cheryl Pounder on this week's Athletic Show Monday. Craig Custance and Sean Del- Gentili, uh pay off their Olympic bet with the Monday show with their rendition of O Canada. And they welcome Everett Fitzhugh, the radio play-by-play voice of the Seattle Kraken. Uh, I actually just saw him in the press box in Seattle with JT Brown the other day. Um, that was on Tuesdays, the Athletic Hockey Show. And Daniel Nugent Bowman, the great Edmonton Oilers beat writer, joins the Athletic Hockey Show with Rob Pizzo, Sarah Sivian and Jesse Granger this week on their round table. So definitely join that big week for the wild uh, coming up here, a home and home with the Calgary flames. After playing Toronto, they play in Calgary 8 PM local time. Start there. Um, It's a hockey night in Canada game. And then they come back to Minnesota and play uh, in Minnesota. So uh, the wild will welcome the Calgary flames and they head to play Chuck Fletcher, Brent flair, Jerry Mayhew, uh, Mike, yo, uh, Nick Schultz, trying to think who else, um, Nick Seeler, Tricky Rick on the bench, uh, all these former wild people in the, in the uh, Philadelphia Flyer organization. That's on March 3rd and then March 4th in Buffalo. But We'll probably have a podcast by then. In fact, I have a potential of a couple awesome, awesome podcasts next week. Uh, So we'll pick one of them and go with that. Thanks for listening to straight from the source. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform and don't forget to leave a rating and review. And right now get an annual subscription to the athletic for just a dollar a month for six months. When you visit theathleticcom slash straight from the source. We'll talk to you next week, everybody.